Hello, everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I am your host, Michael Lombardo. And like I always like to say, I'm excited to be with you guys here today. I am pumped about my guest and the content that we're going to be diving into. I believe this is a very relevant subject for the body of Christ right now and in general for the world at this current time. And as many of you know, we'd like to jump in the scripture at the very beginning of each show. But before that, I would just like to um, let you guys know that because of COVID-19, our studio space is closed temporarily and the audio quality is not exactly what it used to be, not how I would like it to be. But I believe the quality issue is improving and it seems like we have figured out a way temporarily to uh, work through these times. And I appreciate all of you guys listening week after week to Awaken Podcast. There's a scripture in Luke 10, 19, where the Lord Jesus tells his disciples that we have authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall harm us. This was a huge scripture for me as a new believer. I was being attacked demonically at nighttime. I was having uh, demonic dreams and I'd wake up in a sleep paralysis and I'd begin to pray and rebuke the enemy. And when I got saved, the Lord really put on my heart to memorize scripture, authority scripture specifically that would really build my faith so I could exercise my authority in Jesus Christ. And just like on my show with Blake Healy, we spoke about scripture in first John where the apostle John tells us that the word of God abides in us. And therefore, we are strong and we have overcome the evil one. It's a huge scripture for me. I absolutely love it. And so today we're going to be diving into um, a little more of this subject today, spiritual warfare. So with no further ado, I just want to have my guest on the show. I want to honor him. I want to honor his time. Daniel Kalenda is a missionary evangelist. His ministry is marked with signs miracles, wonders, salvations. He has led more than 21 million people to Christ in face-to-face evangelistic campaigns around the world in some of the most remote and dark, dangerous places in the world. Daniel Kalenda is also the successor of the evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. He's now the president and CEO of Christ for All Nations, a ministry that has touched the world with their books and their campaigns, and they have offices all over the world in 12 nations right now. And so thank you so much, Daniel, for joining me on the broadcast, man. It's an honor to have you. Michael, thank you. It's a joy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for those who aren't familiar with your ministry, tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, how you encounter the Lord, and possibly how you, how you got a burden for souls like you do. Yeah, well, um, like you mentioned, we lead a ministry called Christ for All Nations, which was started by evangelist Reinhard Bonnke about 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. I took over for him as the successor of his ministry a little over 10 years ago. And we saw in a 30-year period in this ministry, we saw almost 80 million people come to Christ. And that's wow. not just uh, like an estimation. And then they've been ushered into local churches for discipleship because Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. So the only ones that we count are the ones that are actually entered into the follow-up system for the local churches. And that's 80 million people just about yeah. in just over 30 years. So it's one of the greatest seasons of harvest in the history of the world. Now, you asked the question, how did I get that burden for souls? My father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My great-grandfather was a pastor. Five generations, it goes back on my father's side. My mother's father was also a pastor. My wife's father is also a pastor. So I've been thoroughly pastorized. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I remember as a boy getting to see missionaries as they would come through all the time. Now, our Assembly of God Church it was very common for missionaries to come in. And they would show, you know, pictures of the mission field and what, they would tell stories about what was happening. 
And somewhere in there at about seven, eight years old, I, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and he called me to be a missionary in Africa. And so it's almost uh, uh, the earliest of memories in my entire life is having a desire to go to the nations and to preach the gospel. Of course, I had no idea that it would come to pass the way that it has literally millions and millions of people that I would get to preach to and lead to Christ in face-to-face massive open-air campaigns. It's been one of the greatest joys that that anyone could ever have. I, I'm a little bit biased, but I feel like I have the, the best job in the whole world. <laughs> and the, the best part of all is it's just beginning. The Lord began to speak to me in 2017 about a coming decade of double harvest. And so our entire ministry has geared up to see that number go to 150 million by the end of the decade. Uh, we're increasing from six crusades a year to 43 crusades a year. We're training up an army of, of other evangelists that are working alongside of us. And it's no exaggeration to say the best is yet to come. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I love your passion, man. I love your heart. A lot of people who are uh, listening right now know who Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke is. He's a general who went on to be with the Lord, and he's now receiving his prize. He's receiving his reward with the Lord in glory in heaven. And before we get into this topic, how did you begin to serve with Evangelist Bonnke? The short version is that the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly when I was 16 years old, before I even knew who Reiner Bonke was, and told me that I was going to work with him. It's, a, it's a quite an amazing story. And then two years later, when I was 18, I actually met him on the beach in Pensacola. And um, several years later, I was invited, totally with unrelated, I was invited by someone else to come and work for his ministry. And I did that. I started out working in the Ministry of Christ for All Nations in the warehouse. So if you could see a flowchart of the ministry my position was the lowest one all the way down at the bottom. And I thought at the beginning, I thought, well, maybe this is the fulfillment of the word that I heard when I was 16 years old. I am working with Reinhard Bonnke, even yeah. if it's in this very humble position. But uh, it wasn't too long after that, Evangelist Bonnke asked me to start traveling with him as an assistant. And so I did that for several years. And, um, and then one thing led to another. Again, it's a long story, but he eventually began asking me to preach with him. And then he began handing entire crusades over to me. And finally, the day came where he said, Daniel, the Lord spoke to me. He said, the anointed must be appointed. And he asked me to to come on as his successor. And uh, the rest is history. It's been an amazing, supernatural journey. Um, And and as I said, I've, I've been leading the ministry now for over 10 years. And we've continued to see the multitudes coming to Christ, amazing miracles and signs and wonders. And it's really a testimony to, number one, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And number two, the humility and the vision that, that Reinhard Bonnke had even early on to see the need to pass that ministry on to the next generation and to have a heart to see that thing going on from glory to glory in Jesus' name. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of ministers haven't done it right. I just love how Evangelist Bonnke saw you and you served him and you remained faithful. And he gave you opportunities and he chose someone that the Lord highlighted to him to continue his ministry. It's it's a biblical model. And I just love seeing that. Really, he did it the right way. And as pastors, evangelists, and apostles, many don't pass on their ministry um, to a successor when they go um, to be with the Lord. So really, it's remarkable. Yeah, I hope that that what he did with me serves as an example for, for a lot of other ministries because we really need to learn how to transition well in the body of Christ. One of the things that Reinhardt would often say is, he said, why should I spend my whole life building this ministry and then I die and it all goes back to zero? He said, why can't we just pass it on at the highest point? And he said, your your floor can be my ceiling and you can go to higher heights than I've ever gone. And it's 
it's as I said, you know, it takes an incredible amount of humility to realize that. But I really believe that because of his humility, because of the fact that he wasn't trying to preserve his own legacy, but he was concerned about the next generation. Many, many generations from now, people will still be talking about Reinhard Bonnke because, because of that. I noticed one thing years ago reading Gospels that the very first thing Jesus did in ministry was to pick disciples. And um, it's interesting that today, that seems to be the thing that we do right at the very tail end of their ministries. Yeah. Jesus actually did it at the beginning. And had he not done that, there would be no such thing as Christianity. I mean, Jesus didn't write a book. He didn't build a building. He didn't establish a religion. All he did his whole life was pour himself into 12 men that became his successors. I would say that if that model will work for Jesus, then it's also good enough for us. Oh, absolutely. And I really feel like we don't talk about it enough in the body of Christ. It's just important that, you know, to the success of a generation and the growth of the church and global worldwide evangelism. So anyways, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. I know you have written a lot of books. I'm just kind of transitioning here a little bit. You wrote a book called Slaying Dragons. You've written many other books. This book specifically is about spiritual warfare. I know you're not far into the subject. You've traveled all over the world, Africa, Asia, and you've seen it firsthand in your crusades and campaigns. And this book doesn't just come from a Bible study, but through your experience and through your travels. You know, I've seen in Africa and Asia as I've traveled, even here in America, I've seen a lot of people who are possessed, oppressed by the enemy. Uh, when did you start walking in this ministry? Were you thrown into it with these larger crusades? Was there a learning curve? Tell us a little bit about that. Did you start to experience it mainly because you're under the, you know, you were under the umbrella of Reinhardt's ministry? So Michael, you actually bring up a really good point, which is that this book wasn't written from a marble writing desk at a university library with books piled up on the table. Um, this book was really written from the dusty trenches of the harvest fields where lives are in the balance. This is not an academic theoretical subject for us. This is life and death. And I actually have many of these crusades, witch doctors come to these meetings within their hearts. They want to kill us. They, mm. they dislike us very much. So spiritual warfare for us is about life and death. And in every crusade, we're seeing people that are demonized, getting set free, getting delivered. So this is really where I learned about spiritual warfare in the most visceral and the most practical sense. And as you said, you know, you said you've been to the third world and you've been to some of these crusades. You would also realize that you really can't go to these places and do what we do for very long before you start encountering very uh, extreme humanization and better learn spiritual warfare pretty quick. And, and I would say that's where I picked it up. I, I didn't learn it in a classroom. I didn't take a class on exorcism. Along the way, as, we, as we've dealt with these things, we've learned. And uh, I've learned some principles that are really powerful. And they're not only powerful for evangelists who are preaching in crusades to the masses. These same principles that work for me on the platform in front of 100,000 people or a million people in Africa will work for the house, the house mom, for the construction worker, for the lawyer, the doctor, yeah. the average ordinary Christian who needs to learn how to overcome the temptations and the battles that are coming to them uh, from the enemy in their own spiritual lives. So you learned firsthand seeing people who were demon-possessed. As you prayed for people, were you seeing them automatically set free, or were you running into situations where it was taking a little bit longer to see people get set free? 
uh, I'm asking you because myself, I've experienced a lot of different things, traveling, being a part of Heidi Baker's ministry in Africa, you know, preaching the gospel in Asia, all over Asia, Thailand, Laos, Malaysia, Indonesia. There were times where we would see instant breakthroughs and instant deliverances where God just encountered people and they were set free on the spot. And there were other times where we literally would pray and pray and pray until we saw breakthrough. And sometimes we didn't. What has been your experience? Was our learning curve there? Well, I, I like you, I've had a, you know, a full range of different kinds of experiences. I, I've had, you know, again, I was doing, I was actually, you know, traveling to the nations and preaching the gospel long before um, I was doing it with Evangelist Bonke. I worked um, on a deliverance team with Carlos Anaconda in the 90s. Mm. And um, I, mean, I don't know if you know who Anaconda is, yes. but he, mm-hmm. his ministry is really known for deliverance. He has a tremendous amount of authority. And in the altars, e- even in America, the first time I saw it was in Orlando, Florida. He, he got up in the altar call with you know several hundred people present and just began rebuking demons. And all over the altar area, people started to manifest. I mean, dozens of people began to manifest demons. And our job as the deliverance team was to pull those people manifesting demons out. We'd take them into a side room and we would cast the demons out of them. So, yes. you know, I've, I've had some experience of just going back away. And some, some experiences were bad, kind of like you said, where... Uh, you know, you just, you'd work with someone for a, quite a, a long period of time and they, and they, you know, the demons wouldn't respond, but I've discovered along the way, some pretty interesting, um, methods. And, you know, it's not about methods, it's not formulas. You can't take spiritual things like this and reduce them to formula. However, um, I've learned some principles that, that have simplified and demystified deliverance ministry tremendously. And I actually have a, a whole chapter, the end of, of that book, Slaying Dragons, I have a chapter in there called casting out demons. And um, I give uh, some case examples from my own experience and talk about just a very simple, foolproof way to cast out demons that that any Christian can employ. And um, I think people would be actually amazed by how simple it is and, uh, and, and how little experience they need. And it really does work. We as Christians have authority over these demonic spirits, and Jesus told us to take authority over them and cast them out. That's so right. it's part of what it means to be a Christian. Absolutely. And I would love to hear more about that. But even before we dive into that subject, I know there's you know, believers worldwide that I've bumped into at Bible school and on the mission field and, and everything where people are very scared and they're spooked by spiritual warfare. You know, many people just don't understand it and they come under it and they have this defeatist mentality regarding spiritual warfare. You know, people are scared to be cursed by witch doctors or, you know, sorcerers. But I love, as I was reading your book, there's such a victorious mentality, a Christ-centered gospel with a victorious mentality regarding these things. Like, what you say to someone who doesn't like talking about this subject because it freaks them out or because, you know, maybe they feel like they could, un, you know, uh, come under curses as believers and be negatively affected by it? Well, I, I was just talking to somebody uh, a few days ago in a, in a ministry setting, and they were telling me one of the things they really appreciated about that book was they had expected to come away from it full of fear um, when they discovered, you know, how the spiritual world operates and reading about demons and deliverance and all these things. They said, instead, but they discovered that it made them courageous because I have no desire to, to make people come under fear. The Bible says God has not given us a fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Yeah. So fear is one of the tactics of the enemy. Yeah. And also perfect love casts out fear. So my job as a, as a teacher of deliverance is not to teach people to fear the enemy, but to teach them how to walk in love, how to walk in power, and how to walk in victory over the stuff. It's actually quite simple and the spiritual world doesn't need to be spooky and weird 
In fact, we, we read in the Bible, it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. What the Bible is telling us there is that the primary battle in the Christian life is in a, an invisible realm. So I, I would say it this way, that spiritual warfare is sometimes thought of as this weird sort of uh, underground, charismatic subgenre of theology or something. It's not that at all. It really is at the core of what it means to be a Christian, because all of us, the moment that we get saved, uh, we are instantly enlisted in a spiritual army, and That's we are right. part of, of God's supernatural, divine, eternal agenda, which includes bringing deliverance and light into the darkness, and that is spiritual warfare. And one of the things that I, I show in this book as well is that spiritual warfare is often not what you think, you know, something really um, extreme and outward and flamboyant, something like a Disney movie, uh, like Fantasia or something. And that's actually not what it's like. In fact, one of the things that I, I talk about in the book is I, I use the Sermon on the Mount as one of the greatest examples in scripture of spiritual warfare. Why? Because what Jesus was describing to us in the, spirit, in the Sermon on the Mount was how to live a life completely contrary to the spirit of the age and the wisdom of the age that is, that is what Satan is trying to uh, poison the mind to be unbelieving with. And nothing could be more powerful spiritually than, than actually taking on the mind of Christ and walking out his brand and his style of living in the world. That's what spiritual warfare is. So what you discover is that it actually looks very mundane sometimes. It actually is a lot about how you treat other people. It's about the, the fruit of the spirit. A lot of people think of the gifts of the spirit as these powerful weapons. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit is, is very powerful because this is the Christ-like way of thinking and living and walking, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. They directly contradict and counteract the demonic agenda that's in the world. I agree 100%. And hey, when you love on somebody, when you're walking in the love of God, when you're being patient with someone and uh, when they're struggling with sin issues, when you're showing mercy to someone and it brings down their guards and it breaks them free from fear and discouragement, you break death off them. That is literally spiritual warfare. You're defeating and destroying the works of the enemy. His oppression leaves their lives. So I absolutely love that viewpoint. Obviously, the gifts of the spirit, prophecy, healing, miracles, all these things dismantle the agenda of the enemy, but also, you know, the fruit of the spirit. I love how you emphasize that. It's, it's, it's profound. And we, and we mentioned it a minute ago, but you state how the power of the enemy is something that, that you mentioned in your book. And I love it. You state that the power of the enemy, he only has power over believers to the extent that we give it to them. I love that quote. I kind of butchered it a little bit, but the enemy doesn't have power over us. He can't harm us. He can't injure us. We have authority over him. Everything in this world, everything demonic is under our feet because we're co-seated with Christ in the heavenly places above principalities, powers, mights, dominions, but we could give him power in our lives to wreak havoc. And I'd, I'd love for you to dive a little bit more into that. Yeah, so one of the things that, that I talk about using this, this metaphor that is a biblical metaphor, by the way, of the dragon, is that when we inspect him a little bit closer, we discover that the dragon has no teeth. He only has a silver tongue because his main weapon is not one of outward force, but one of the inner deception. If you notice the way that um, the fall of Adam and Eve is described in the book of Genesis, that serpent that beguiles Eve doesn't grab out and uh, reach out and grab her by the throat as she's walking past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and force a piece of fruit down her throat. He has no outward power. The power that he has is one of deception. And so what he begins to do is he, 
He asks her a very simple question. Half God said three simple words that inject the poison of unbelief into Eve's spirit. And she begins to question God's words. She begins to question God's truthfulness. She begins to question God's motive. And that little bit of unbelief that enters in allows the enemy to manipulate her into doing things that are completely contrary to the will of God. And this is the way that it is for us as well. The, the devil doesn't come and twist our arms. The power that he has in this world, he exerts through people that have been deceived into his way of thinking. That's why it's so important that we understand the way God thinks and the way that the enemy thinks. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And you see in the, in the Garden of Eden, what happened was Satan didn't just get Eve to eat some forbidden fruit. What he did was he got her to adopt and to imbibe his satanic way of thinking. Remember the end of that temptation, Satan says this. He says, in the day that you eat thereof, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, the, the original temptation of Satan in the Garden of Eden was not, Eve, worship me as God. The, de- the devil never told Eve to worship him. Satan's temptation was this, Eve, you can be like God. You yeah. can be a God. And when you hear that, it should remind you of something, because in the book of Ezekiel, we read about the fall of Satan. And what Satan did is the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw the throne of God and he said, I will become like the most high. So you see that the very thing he tempted Eve with, you can be like God, is the very thing that was the desire of his own heart. So what Satan did is he passed his satanic, demonic way of thinking onto Eve. She bought that. She imbibed it. It became part of her life later on in the Gospels when Jesus and Peter have this uh, incredible exchange where uh, Jesus is explaining to Peter that he's going to go to the cross. And Peter, thinking that he's saying something very heroic, says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Listen to this. For you are not thinking as God thinks, but you are thinking as man thinks. And we learn a couple of very important things here. Number one, God does not think the way that man thinks. And man does not think in his natural carnal fallen state. We do not think as God thinks. But it gets even worse because not only does the natural man not think like God, but our way, is that our way of thinking is actually aligned with Satan. That's why Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The natural carnal way of thinking is demonic. It's, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so the, the problem is a lot of people, even Christians, are trying to battle the enemy in the flesh. They're trying to battle him with ways that are familiar to them in the wisdom of the world. And it's no wonder that they never get victory because God's ways are not our ways. If you look, for example, at the cross, nothing could have seen, seemed more weak and more counterintuitive. There is this man stripped naked, beaten, bloody, dying, helpless, suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. One of the reasons that the cross worked is because the wisdom of God was so far above the satanic and the human way of thinking that the devil couldn't even understand what God was doing. At the very time that it looked where Jesus was at his weakest, at that moment, he was conquering the devil. He was fulfilling the prophecy that was given to, to Eve in the Garden of Eden, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That was happening on the cross when Jesus looked like he was at his weakest. And that's the same way it is for us, that, that many times what is powerful in the spirit and what brings us tremendous breakthrough spiritually and supernaturally are not the things that look mighty, like you were talking about earlier. Sometimes the fruit of the spirit doesn't seem so powerful, but it carries tremendous significance and tremendous authority in the spirit. So part of the the whole purpose of this book is helping people to understand and to embrace that completely new way of thinking 
Because the Bible says that first we submit ourselves to God, then we resist the devil and he will flee from us. If you just try to resist the devil for having submitted to God, you are not only are you not going to be successful, but you're probably going to get hurt. Instead, what we do is we first submit ourselves to God. We bring ourselves in alignment with his word, with his way of thinking, and then we resist the devil and we have perfect victory every time. Powerful. Um, I believe this book came out at a very relevant time, regardless of COVID-19. And like you said, when you're born again, you are drafted into the army of the Lord. And we need to, just like uh, Ephesians 6, learn how to put on Christ and put on the armor of Christ, standing in that evil day, doing all that we can to stand in his strength, in his might. Not our own strength, not our own abilities, but there's so many people right now coming under fear and so many people who are sick that need healing, not just from this virus, but from cancer and all other kinds of sicknesses and diseases. But I just feel like there are so many people who are crippled right now and some who even lost their jobs or struggling financially. A lot is going on. A lot of discouragement, hopelessness. A lot is coming from the enemy, just whispering into people's ears, lies and deceptions. You know, and as we end, as we end this interview here today, I just believe there's a lot of people that need encouragement right now. How do you tell them in this time, in this crucial time to stand and to keep standing, to, to put on the armor of the Lord? Well, once again, you know, our battle is not primarily against flesh and blood. Our battle is not primarily in the natural. And I, I think that a lot of Christians sense when they when they see what's going on in the news, they they watch the, uh, the the reports. They they have this internal sense that something isn't right, that there's more going on here than meets the eye. And I think that that is true. I, I I wouldn't resort to conspiracy theories. What I would do instead is realize there are spiritual forces at work. And again, in the beginning of that book, Slaying Dragons, one of the things that I, I do is I I paint the picture of angels and demons in scripture. And, and really lay out the theology, what the scripture teaches about angels and demons, where they come from, how they operate. And one of the things we discover is that earthly systems of government and power and dominion are mirror images of what's happening in the spiritual world. So like, for example, in, in the book of Daniel, you see this natural kingdom that's ruled by a natural prince, but then the spirit being that's over that is named the Prince of Persia. And so it's actually showing us a picture of a, of a system where there are principalities and powers in the heavenly realms that are influencing things that are happening on the earth. It's very important that Christians understand this because without it, the, the world seems like it's just uh, very confusing and sort of things are just happening randomly. But when you realize the, the way that this, this whole system operates, you realize this is not random at all. There are spiritual powers at work. But, but the great thing about that is as Christians, we don't have to live in fear we don't have to live in anxiety of the, these things because we, the Bible tells us, have been made more than conquerors through him that loved us. The Bible has given us keys. I feel so terrible for people in the world that don't know the Lord in this season because they are really just sitting ducks for the enemy. They have no weapons. They have no understanding of what's happening. They have no way to counteract it. But the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we have been equipped through the word of God, through the revelation that comes through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit to combat these things, to emerge victorious. And I would just encourage believers, dig into the word of God. This book that I've written, I've written to help you to do that, to really grasp this. And in this time, understand the tools and the weapons and the, and the, the armor that God has made available to you and then stand against that power of the enemy and be victorious. And I really believe, um, Michael, that probably sounds strange, given how much uh, anxiety and despair that, that the world is in right now. 
but my heart is full of excitement and anticipation because I believe through my understanding of what, what, what's happening right now, I believe that we're standing on the precipice of the greatest harvest of souls in the history of the world. I believe that for those of us who are believers, this is our finest hour. This is not the time for us to curl up in a fetal position. This is the time for us to go out and to see the kingdom of God advance as never before. This is our moment in Jesus' name. Oh, absolutely. And I agree. Uh, I want I want to give people an opportunity here to get a copy of your book, Slaying Dragons. I love the section at the beginning where you talk about the divine council, angels, demons, cherubim, seraphim, going into all that. It's very, very enlightening. You know, you share a lot of stories, experiences, as well as tons of scripture. You know, you said earlier that it's not a um, theological discourse, but, you know, this came from encounter, from walking in it. But it's also filled with biblical accounts and stories that will help enlighten the reader um, from the scriptures. And so I would love for you to pray for those who are struggling today um, so that they could really grasp their authority in Christ, that they are conquerors, that they are victorious in him. You know, a lot of people really aren't walking in that right now in the body of Christ, and they're scared of the enemy and what he's doing, and they're always focused on the enemy. And so I'd love for you to just release a prayer of peace and blessing right now to the listener. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So for those of you that are listening, I want you to understand if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've been born again, you are a child of God and you have access to dominion and authority. And I want to pray for you now that not that you would have it because you already have it, but that you would get the revelation of it, that you would align your your life with the will of God. Again, submit yourself to God and then resist the devil. And, And I pray that you would see mighty, mighty victory in Jesus name. So, Father, I just pray for my brother and my sister that's listening to this right now. Lord, you know the, the unique struggles that each one of them is going through. And some of them, Father, in this moment are, are facing some of the greatest challenges and some of the greatest battles that they've ever had to face in their lives. And, and Lord, I know that, that from the outside, things look bad. But at the same time, I know, Father, that your word says that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You've said that you will cause everything to work together for the good of them that love you and that are called according to your purpose. Lord, you've given us these great and precious promises in your word for us to cling to. And so, Lord, at this moment, we we stop listening to the voice of the enemy. We choose instead to believe the report of the Lord. And I I just bless my brothers and sisters that are listening to this. Lord, I thank you that they feel your grace and your strength rising up on the inside of them, that they'd be filled with excitement and courage about the days to come. They would see every one of their needs met according to your riches and glory, whether, whether they be physical healing or whether they be financial provision, whatever it is, God, I pray that you'd meet those and give them a strong confidence that you are near to them, that the, the greatest days of their lives are just ahead. And Lord, I thank you that you would help them to walk in total victory over the power of the enemy, not just once or twice, but every day of their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Evangelist. Um, I want people to get a copy of your book, Slaying Dragons. I want people to connect with your ministry because as we said earlier, you're preaching the millions in dark places, countries all over the world, and it's an incredible ministry to partner with and sow into. How can people get a copy of your book, Slaying Dragons, as well as many other resources? I know you have a TV program. I know you're doing all these evangelistic crusades. How could people connect with this? DanielColenda.com. That's spelled D-A-N-I-E-L-K-O-L-E-N-D-A. And when you go there, uh, there'll be a place for you to click and buy the book, but you can also get the book at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, anywhere else that, that you buy books online or in, in person. Uh, and the book, again, is called Slaying Dragons, uh, and it's about practical keys uh, to winning spiritual warfare in your life. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Evangelist Kalenda, for joining me on this broadcast today. Man, it was a blessing and an honor to have you with me. The joy was mine. Thanks again, Michael. You got it. You got it. Thank you guys for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, and review this show so we can get out to more people around the world to be blessed, encouraged, and strengthened by our gospel, by the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You can tune in anywhere podcasts are listened to. God bless you guys, and I'll see you next time on Awaken Podcast. Mm-hmm.